Would you turn in the Scriptures, please, to Psalm 89? It's lovely to be back with you today and to, to share in this service. Psalm 89, we'll read the first eight verses. And the theme for our service is the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, I've made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all of heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround His throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, Lord? You are entirely faithful. We're living in a world today where faithlessness has become the norm. For example, many people no longer view faithfulness in marriage as a realistic expectation. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why people choose to live together rather than to actually get married, because marriage carries implications with it that some people are just not willing to accept. I, I was once browsing through a magazine in the doctor's waiting room, and I read an article that said that 90% of husbands are unfaithful to their wives, and 60% of wives are unfaithful to their husbands. I don't know about you, but I find that statistic incredibly depressing. And even if it is a statistic that is grossly exaggerated, the actual percentages must nevertheless be very high for them to be able to suggest they're that high unfaithfulness. People are unfaithful not only to one another in, in marriage, unfaithful to the trust placed in them by their employers. They'll cheat them of time by arriving late, by extending tea breaks, lunch breaks, and leaving early. They'll cheat them of resources by submitting inflated expenses claims, or they'll justify pilfering as being a perk of the job, unfaithfulness. Jimmy Carr, the comedian, Bono, Gary Barlow, the singer-songwriter, in recent times, along with many others, have used all kinds of schemes and investments to avoid paying taxes to the inland revenue. In a whole host of areas, people today accept faithlessness as the norm. 
We also see the spirit of faithlessness worked out in the spiritual realm. People aren't always willing to faithfully live up to their Christian confession. Those who are Christians at church and devils at work or in the home. In a day when people are more concerned with getting rather than giving, they're not always faithful to their responsibilities as church members. They don't get involved and give of their time and their resources and their energies to the, to the work of the local church. And instead, you hear people saying, I'm not getting what I need from the church. It's a matter of getting rather than giving. Faithlessness. Faithlessness doesn't simply characterize life in the 21st century sadly can characterize a great deal of the church in the 21st century. We shouldn't be surprised that our fallen society is plagued by disloyalty and unreliability, but if there's one place where faithfulness ought to clearly be seen, it should be seen in the life of the Christian and in the life of the Christian community, the church. but it's not always seen there. Why should it be seen there? Simply because God is faithful. And if we belong to Him, and He's living in our lives, our lives ought to be a reflection to the world of His faithfulness. Psalm 89 verse 2, "'Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens.'" Psalm 89 verse 5, Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. Psalm 89, verse 9, you are entirely faithful. God is faithful in everything He says. He is faithful in everything He does. Lamentations 3.22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. That's why Paul can say in 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are unfaithful, which of course so often we are, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny who He is. No matter the changes that take place around us, no matter how variable our commitment to Him, God always remains faithful, faithful to Himself and faithful to us. There's an old chorus, some of you may remember, which says, He cannot fail, for He is God. He cannot fail. He's pledged His Word. He cannot fail. He'll see you through. He cannot fail. He'll answer you. God is faithful, faithful to who He is, faithful to what He has said, and faithful to those who belong to Him. And because He is faithful, God expects His people to be faithful too. When His people turned away from following Him in Old Testament times, God appealed to them in Jeremiah 3, 12 and to 14, O Israel, my faithless people, come home to me again, for I am merciful. I'll not be angry with you forever. Only acknowledge your guilt, admit that you rebelled against the Lord your God, confess that you refused to listen to my voice, 
return home, you wayward children. We shouldn't think that God isn't concerned when we are unfaithful. He doesn't turn a blind eye to our faithlessness. He sees it all, and He notes it all. People in Jesus' day thought there were no group of people in society in, in Israel more faithful than the Pharisees. They seem to be the super faithful. But Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, 23, you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. They were just faithful by what people saw of them with their eyes and saw what they did. But God was able to see into the depths of their hearts, and He knew that despite the outward appearance of faithfulness, inwardly they were faithless. God doesn't just recommend faithfulness to you and to me. He requires faithfulness of us. Yet even deeply spiritual Christians find it hard to be faithful. Rebecca Manley Pippert, Christian writer and conference speaker, said, I've found that doing a speaking tour is a piece of cake next to learning how to be a loving, unselfish, faithful, godly wife. Preaching dogma is easy. Living it is another matter. Making a connection between the truth I believe and the truth I really live, that's what builds faith and character. And it's the Holy Spirit who helps us make that connection in our daily lives so that we can produce within us the spiritual fruit of faithfulness. Faithfulness, the fruit of the Spirit. And we see it, that faithfulness in our devotion, which means being faithful to Christ in our daily walk. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1, look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who's put in charge as a manager, must be faithful. We have been entrusted with the gospel. We must live out its truth in our daily lives. How faithful are we in our devotion to God, in the living out of the gospel in our lives? How faithful are we at the altar of prayer, prayer, our lifeline to our loving Heavenly Father, what relationship do we have with God? Are we nurturing that relationship in prayer? What kind of relationship, if He is always trying to speak into our hearts and lives and minds through the Scriptures, through others, by the Spirit in our innermost being, God speaking to us, and we never take the time to speak to Him. Is ours a one-sided relationship where God's the one that does all the speaking? We never 
respond. What about, uh, what about studying and applying God's Word in our lives? Are we faithful in doing that? The psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your words are lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Are we taking notice of what God is saying to us through His Word? And are we letting God's Word guide us in our everyday lives? How faithful to Christ are we really in our daily walk with Him? Also, how faithful to Christ are we in our daily work? If we belong to Jesus, we have a testimony to maintain in the world. Obedience to the Word of God ought to make us better people and exemplary citizens. <clears throat> but let me ask you, does your employer know that you're a Christian? Not because you keep telling him. Does he know that you're a Christian by the life you live and the work you offer? in your daily life? Are you a person who goes above and beyond? Are you the kind of person Jesus was speaking about who, when given the burden to walk for one mile, will take it and walk two miles? In your daily work, do people see that you are a Christian, and because of that you are conscientious, you are reliable, you are trustworthy. Paul says in Colossians 3, and 23, slaves, today, if he was writing that verse, he would say, employees, em obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you, Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Are you serving the Lord in that way in your everyday life? By being the best possible employee you can be for Jesus' sake. Charles Schwab told the story of a, a prosperous man who started out his employment life as a poorly paid shop assistant in a department store. One rainy day, business was slow, the employees were huddled together in a corner, and they were all discussing the, the sport of the weekend. A, a lady came into the store soaking wet from the rain, bedraggled, and they all kept on talking in their conversation about the scores and everything else. Doesn't that make you mad when you go into a store and the folks are busy talking to one another they, the, 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 they ought to be serving you, and you feel as if you're just standing there like a knotless thread? She came into the store. They all kept talking apart from one. And this young man came over immediately, and he tried to help the lady, and he was courteous, and he was helpful. 
And uh, not long afterwards, the firm received a letter from this particular lady ordering complete house furnishings for an overseas estate. And in the letter, she says, I want to be assisted by the polite clerk who waited on me a few weeks ago. The head of the company replied, this young man is young and experienced, but he himself, he said, would take care of the order. She replied, I want that young clerk and no one else. The customer was Mrs. Andrew Carnegie, wife of the millionaire industrialist and philanthropist. That was the start of that young man in his career. But it was because he was conscientious and faithful in serving God in what he did in his everyday work. Faithfulness in our daily walk, faithfulness in our daily work, faithful also in our Christian work. I don't want to draw an unhelpful distinction between secular and Christian work. All work is something that we offer as an act of worship to God, all of it. But if I just take part of that and think of what we often describe as Christian work, the work that we do in and around the church and, and in serving God. And our reasoning is flawed if we think that we don't have to give of our best to that work, that God is satisfied with ah, just, just the wee remnants of time that we've got in our day to give to Him or the wee bit energy that we've got left, and we just do something, and it's not done the way it should be done, because, ah, oh, well, it's just the church. That's not good enough. God expects the best, and if He gave the best He had for us, what right have we got to give less than our best back for Him? All Christian service is an act of worship. Paid Christian service, I use that term rather than full-time Christian service, because we're all full-time in Christian service, every one of us. Paid Christian service, though, that I was concerned with for many years when I was with the Baptist Union. Paid Christian service demands the very best. You know, it's not for those who can't make it in the world's marketplace. So, oh, I'll just go in to the ministry. Believe it or not, there are those who think that way. Paid Christian service isn't a refuge for those who are looking for an easy job. 
We carry a great responsibility to be faithful and conscientious servants of the living God. And I've always felt, when I was in pastoral ministry, my people need to know that I am giving to them in the name of Jesus 100%. I'm not trying to coast in ministry and have an easy time of it. Faithfulness to the call of God. Faithfulness. Jesus said in Luke 16 and 10, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. Epaphroditus was faithful, fulfilling the task he'd been given by the church at Philippi. And Paul said to that church in uh, Philippians 2.29, give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ and was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. So, faithfulness to Christ in our Christian work we should honor all who serve with faithfulness, with dedication, with commitment, with energy, and with integrity. Those who serve the Lord Jesus in the life of the local church. Faithful in devotion. Faithfulness also in danger. We are to remain faithful and loyal in the face of opposition and persecution. When the apostles were imprisoned and then flogged because of their commitment to Jesus, Acts 5.41 says, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Daniel 3.16, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are an inspiring testimony to faithfulness they would not bow before the king and worship his idol. They made their bold defense before the king. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Well, we know that God chose to rescue them from the furnace, but there are many, many others who had to pay the ultimate price for remaining faithful to God in the face of danger. When facing death by public burning because of his faith in Christ, Second-century Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, replied this. He was asked to renounce his faith so that he could continue to live, and he said, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no harm. How then can I deny the Lord whom I love and serve? Well, by comparison, what suffering do we have to face in our day? 
you and I, we're not going to be put to death, which I don't think so, for our faith. It may come one day, but not at the moment. No one's going to throw us into prison for preaching the gospel and sharing our faith in Jesus. So, what does it matter if some of our colleagues laugh at us at work because we're Christians? What does it matter? What does it matter if we're an easy target for all the rotten jobs, or if we are passed over for promotion because we're, we're Christians and openly confess our faith in Jesus Christ. What does it matter? What does it matter if we are cold-shouldered or politely ignored and left on the outside because we're not part of the party crowd? What does it matter? What does it matter if colleagues resent our work ethic because it shows up their work ethic in a bad light? What does it matter? The important thing in everything is that we are faithful to Jesus, faithful to God in every circumstance, even though our faithfulness to the Lord brings us difficulties and disadvantages faithful in everything. Faithfulness and devotion, faithfulness in danger, faithfulness under discipline. Well, the Scripture speaks about the Lord's discipline, and we need to remain faithful under the Lord's discipline. There are times when God has to discipline us, just as our earthly fathers disciplined and reproved us so that so that we learned lessons that were important for us in life and kept us on the right road. So God, our Heavenly Father, disciplines each one of us. Hebrews 12, 5, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those He loves and punishes each one He accepts as a child. Hebrews 12, 9, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, Shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of our Father? God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. God wants us to be the best we can possibly be, and so He disciplines us for our good so that He keeps us on the right track. But He says, Psalm 89, even although we are disobedient and He has to reprove us, He says this after I'll punish them, I'll keep them on the right track, but I will never stop loving Him nor fail to keep my promise to Him, Psalm 89, 33. Faithful under God's discipline, faithful under church discipline. When we become part of the believing community, we bring ourselves under the discipline of that believing community. And the believing community, just by virtue of the fact that it belongs to Jesus, exercises a gentle discipline on all of us, helps us to keep our lives on the right track, and helps us to keep our behavior in check. Or at least it should. So that we relate to one another in ways that are honoring to God. So there's a faithfulness uh, under church discipline that is just normally exercised by the church being the church, the believing community. 
But there are times when the church has to exercise specific discipline, acts of discipline when believers go completely off the rails. In 2 Corinthians 2.5, Paul highlights the case of a man who has been disciplined by the church at Corinth because of sexual misdemeanor. And he says that when genuine repentance has taken place, then discipline should be lifted and full fellowship restored. No church that has been obliged to discipline a member finds any pleasure in doing that discipline. It is as painful for the church as it is for the individual. I remember uh, in my church in Aberdeen, we had a former Baptist minister in membership there. His marriage had collapsed. He was divorced. And he, he entered into a friendship with a lady he met in his work in Aberdeen, and he moved in with her. And we had to exercise church discipline. And I spoke to him and pleaded with him to remove himself from this relationship and to, uh, to, to come out of it, and he would not do it. The usual sort of excuse that you so often hear, God wants me to be happy. Where do you find that in Scripture? And so I said, well, I'm afraid we're going to have to bring this as deacons before the church to exercise church discipline. He said, I wouldn't give you the pleasure. You can have my resignation now. I said, if you think we're taking any pleasure in having to do this, you are so wrong. Faithful under church discipline. There are those who respond to such discipline, even although it's painful, in the right way, and they become convicted that what they've been doing is wrong, and they, they begin to take steps to get their, right, their lives put right. And that's what the objective of church discipline is all about. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Loving discipline is to bring about repentance and restoration. And if we are being disciplined because of something that we have done that has been totally wrong, we should respond positively to that so that our lives get back on spiritual track again. Finally, faithfulness to death. God expects us to be faithful to Him in life and faithful to Him even to death. You know what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've remained faithful. I've remained faithful. Not everyone who starts the race finishes it well. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 22, everyone who endures to the end will be saved. And in Revelation 2, 10, he says, if you remain faithful 
even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Will we be faithful to the Lord to the very end of the journey? I pray that we will. Faithful even to death. When Catherine Booth, the wife of the founder of the Salvation Army, was dying, she sent a message to Salvationists all over the world. This is what she said. The waters are rising, but so am I. I'm not going under, but over. I think that is thrilling, wonderful. I'm not going under, but over. Do we have confidence in Jesus so that we will remain faithful to the end of the race till death itself? God is faithful. He will never, ever be anything but faithful, and He requires that we, His followers, should be faithful too. And by the power of the indwelling Spirit, the fruit of faithfulness can grow in our lives, develop, so that we're faithful in our devotion to the Lord, faithful in danger when we have to face it, faithful under discipline if we have to endure it, and faithful even to the point of death. Paul says in Galatians 5.22, when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. May God help us to be faithful. Amen.